Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, we got a great show today. I guess not we. I'm the only person in the room <laughs> recording the podcast. I'm the only person who works on the show. Um, we're going to talk about Jameis Winston going to the New Orleans Saints. We'll talk about Jacob Beeson, Jalen Hurts. Uh, the 49ers made a really big move. We'll talk about that. There are some teams that stand out to me. After the 2020 NFL Draft, we'll talk about those teams as well. We'll ask the question, what are the Patriots doing? I have a topic called possible Patriots thinking, what I think they're doing with their quarterback situation. What are the Packers doing? It's a very similar topic. What are some possible Packers thinking there? Uh, We'll talk about the last dance, the Michael Jordan slash Chicago Bulls documentary docuseries. Episode three and four came out on Sunday. I got some thoughts about that. And before we do anything, though, I want to say that really it's two parts. Uh, Number one, Tom Grossi runs the the Green Bay Packers podcast, PatCast. Tom Grossi is one of my favorite human beings on the entire, you know, in the planet, in the planet, on the planet. How do you say that? I know English is hard. Why do I even try? Uh, No, I I love Tom Grossi, man. He is a really good friend of mine. I've been to his house. He's one of my, like, I don't watch a lot of YouTube, but if I do watch something, I watch what Tom Grossi has to say. Uh, His comedy stuff makes me laugh so hard. And I've been to his house. Like, I've sat in his basement where he records his videos with him. We did a whole long podcast together. We talked for like four hours one time. It's on his YouTube channel. And number one, Tom Grossi got to 75,000 subscribers uh, today. And oh my gosh, um, that makes me so happy for him. It's well-deserved. He works so, so hard. People don't even realize the stuff he does behind the scenes, man. Uh, Tom, I'm so happy for you. If you've never heard of Tom Grossi, Give him a listen. Go check him out. Uh, I love his content. I'm just a big fan of his. He makes me laugh like no one does. And that's not even the reason I wanted to talk about him today. I originally was going to just give him a shout out because he did a video called The Media's Reaction to Every 2020 NFL Draft Pick. And this video, uh, like I've, I've followed the guy for years. This video is my favorite video he's ever made. Uh, it made me laugh so hard. It's all about, you know, kind of making fun of ESPN and their attitude towards the 2020 NFL draft where a guy would get picked. And instead of talking about football, I was so frustrated. I've worked in production for a while. I used to work for ESPN. I worked for Fox. And it's like, can we please give the audience football? A pick was made. And if I'm the audience member listening, I'm like, was it a good pick or not? If I'm a person like the Eagles pick someone, I'm like, hey, tell me, is this a good pick by the Eagles or not? Instead, ESPN we just talk forever about their family and their backstory. And I get it. Some of the stories were touching. You know, one of them, I believe it was Cesar Ruiz, got me to tear up. I was like, man, this is sad. The dude, lost. I think I'm pretty sure it's Cesar Ruiz lost his dad. And I just, I was tearing up. Me and my girlfriend and my dad were like, oh, are you crying? Yeah, I'm crying too. It, it was emotional. I, I acknowledge that. But man, for, you know, seven rounds of, Instead of talking about football, I felt like it just got so personal and over-the-top personal. It's like, I don't really care about the guy's eight-year-old self dropping an ice cream cone and being sad. A lot of the information they were giving us was irrelevant, and I'm ranting now, but uh, Tom's video, I'm not going to ruin it. Just go watch it. It's called The Media's Reaction to Every 2020 NFL Draft Pick. Oh my gosh. Uh, I love the video. It made me laugh so hard. And uh, I just if you haven't heard of Tom Grassi, go check him out. He's a good friend of mine. He hit a huge milestone today. Well-deserved. But the video, that video made me laugh so, so hard. And I hope you go watch it. All right, let's start here today. 
on on February 2nd, 2020, we had the Super Bowl. And then since then, two major events have happened. We had NFL free agency. That whole period took place. And then the NFL draft has just happened. And some teams since, you know, in that time frame, free agency and the NFL draft, they added a bunch of really quality players and have gotten dramatically better. Those teams, I want to give them a shout out. I want to talk about those teams and give them some recognition. Now, I do want to say first, there might be some teams I'm leaving out. I might be overlooking somebody. If I am and you're listening or watching, send me a message, comment, however you can get a hold of me. Let me know what teams I'm forgetting when I talk about them because I am happy to make a follow-up topic and talk about the other teams that got better in the NFL. But these are the teams that really stood out to me after the NFL draft. We'll talk about free agency in the draft. Uh, The number one team to me that stands out is the Denver Broncos and the way they have built around their young quarterback, Drew Locke. It really is. I mean, if you're going to build around a young quarterback, do what the Denver Broncos have done. Pay attention. Listen to this. It started in free agency. They added Graham Glasgow, a guard from the Lions. They gave him a four-year deal. He's 27 years old. Bam, made their offensive line better. They also signed running back Melvin Gordon from the Chargers. And then in the NFL draft, the first two picks by the Denver Broncos were spent on receivers. Number one, uh, in the first round, they got Jerry Judy, uh, 15th overall. Loved that move. And then in the second round, they got K.J. Hamler, a receiver from Penn State. And in total, when you take a step back, this is the new-look Denver Broncos offense. They have two running backs, Melvin Gordon and Phil Lindsay. Both are quality, could-be starters in the NFL. They're going to really go back and forth for a time that's going to be awesome. The Broncos now have three great receivers, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and K.J. Hamler. An explosive big play tight end. If there's one person I am not overstating the quality of, it's Noah Fant, the tight end. He's a future star. He was a rookie last year. I am telling you, Noah Fant is a big play waiting to happen. He, I watched the film. I did a film analysis of Drew Locke. Noah Fant really stood out to me on tape. And then not only did the Broncos add Graham Glasgow, the guard from the Lions in free agency, they're also getting tackled Juwan James back from injury last year. The Broncos have built their team, man, around this young quarterback. And not only that, you know, really pay attention. They have drafted so well in rounds one and two last year. Drew Locke, uh, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. Those are some of the players they've brought in uh, in the first two rounds last year and this year in the NFL draft. They have really built their team on offense that way. And I just can't say enough good things. If you are a team trying to build around a young quarterback, do what the Denver Broncos have done. Running back, offensive line, receivers, tight end. They have everything. And I'm happy for the Broncos' young quarterback, Drew Locke. They are putting him in a position to be successful. I love it. And I am so, so happy for them. Now, the number two team that stands out to me that's really improved recently is the Arizona Cardinals. And when they got their coach and quarterback problems solved, they got Cliff Kingsbury as their head coach. They got Kyler Murray as their quarterback. He just won rookie of the year. After figuring those two positions out, the Cardinals' mission was, let's build our team. Let's get better. And I really, this whole journey to me began in October when the Cardinals traded for running back Kenyon Drake. But then in March, they really just fleeced the Houston Texans. They traded for DeAndre Hopkins, a star receiver. I just went, man, and pay attention. Here's one thing. If you told me DeAndre Hopkins was traded for, I'd say at the very least, the Houston Texans got a first-round pick. 
The Cardinals didn't have to give up a first-round pick to get DeAndre Hopkins. That's a big deal. It'll come back to play a part later because they were able to keep their first-round pick, which is really, really valuable. But not only that, think about this. This is now the Arizona Cardinals receiving core. They have DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and a speedy slot receiver, Andy Isabella. How do you guard them? I don't understand. If you are playing the Arizona Cardinals, you're just screwed. You take away, like, maybe your mission is, okay, they have DeAndre Hopkins, we'll take away DeAndre Hopkins. Well, uh, they have Christian Kirk, they also have Larry Fitzgerald, and uh, Andy Isabella can destroy you in man-to-man coverage. You're just not in a good place. If you play against the Arizona Cardinals, you're going to have a really hard time stopping their offense, especially with Cliff Kingsbury's scheme. I mean, I just feel so bad for defenses out to play the Cardinals. But they also made their defense better. They signed defensive tackle Jordan Phillips to a three-year deal. And then here's where that draft pick plays a really big part. They kept their first-round draft pick. And in the draft, number eight overall in the first round, the Cardinals drafted Isaiah Simmons, a linebacker, out of Clemson. And, I mean, he's going to really help them with two players in particular. The Cardinals twice a year play the Seattle Seahawks twice and the 49ers twice. So that's four total games. And Isaiah Simmons is an incredible, incredible athlete. So he's going to help against the 49ers because he can guard and man coverage George Kittle, the 49ers' really good tight end. And then because he's so fast sideline to sideline, he's going to help corral the Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson, because Russell Wilson loves to run around and extend plays. I can't say enough good things about the direction that the Arizona Cardinals are headed in. They are building their team the right way. They also drafted Lekai Fotu, a defensive tackle from Utah. And then possibly the steal of the draft. I mean, this is a a pick that should not be overlooked. They drafted Evan Weaver, a linebacker from Cal. Um, look, I, I love the Evan Weaver pick. I'm about to make a comparison I think is not really quite fair, and it's over the top. I acknowledge everything I'm saying, uh, and I realize it's a big deal. They drafted a guy, Evan Weaver, in the sixth round, and a couple years ago they drafted another guy on defense really late in the draft. They drafted Pat Tillman in the seventh round, and Pat Tillman went on to become a, you know, a revered figure and a star in the NFL, man. Pat Tillman was a huge, huge deal. A seventh-round pick really evolved into a great player. I think Evan Weaver's a very similar player here where, man, the guy, listen to this, he led college football last year in tackles at Cal. He had 181 tackles last year in college football. 181 tackles. Mind-blowing because getting 100, getting 100 tackles is a big deal. He almost had 200 in college football last year. Now, here's the reason why Evan Weaver fell in the draft. As a linebacker, he's really an average athlete. He's not a line. You know, you can't really compare Evan Weaver to Isaiah Simmons as an athlete. But I think that's kind of silly to say, oh, Evan Weaver's going to fail because he's not a great athlete. He's got heart, man. He fights so, so hard. I watched him play live against Washington State. And this is a dude who's all effort. And I think he's one of those, those moments where Sometimes it's okay. You know, effort really can outplay your physical ability. Evan Weaver's a guy I would not be surprised if he became a star for the Cardinals offense or for the Cardinals defense and really took a big role as a leader, as a dude who just loves to hit. He is all effort and just go, 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 go. Um, I really, really love. I know how big it is to compare anybody to Pat Tillman, but to me, when I think of it, who's a guy that stood out on defense for the Cardinals that were drafted later in the draft? Pat Tillman. Evan Weaver could very, very well be a similar player. Great fundamentals and plays extremely hard. He does everything you can work on. Like, very similar to Joe Burrow, actually, at LSU. 
Joe Burrow controlled everything he could possibly control as a player. Evan Weaver is very similar. He works incredibly hard. And everything he can control by his ability as a linebacker, he does and does to his best ability. And I just think, man, Evan Weaver is an underrated pick going to the Arizona Cardinals. I love the Cardinals. I love the direction they're going. And pay attention. In the desert, they are doing big, big things in Arizona. Now, the Cleveland Browns. Maybe I'm being fooled again. I have been saying for like, man, two years now that I love what the Browns are doing. Um, But the Browns general manager, the new general manager there in Cleveland, Andrew Barry, is making great moves. Uh, Andrew Barry learned and studied under Howie Roseman, who is currently the Eagles general manager. I really respect Howie Roseman. And Andrew Barry clearly learned something from his time in Philadelphia. Here's what happened with the Eagle, with the Browns. Not only did the Browns get quality in free agency, they also got quality in the draft. That word quality really, really rings true to me when I talk about the Cleveland Browns. Here's what they did in free agency. They added right tackle Jack Conklin. Uh, they got tight end Austin Hooper from the Falcons. They added a veteran defensive end, Adrian Claiborne. And then in the draft, man, they kept picking players I thought they could have gotten. You know, they kept getting players in the draft that I thought should have been drafted earlier. Number 10 overall, they drafted Jedrick Wills, a tackle from Alabama. In the second round, they got Grant Delpit, a safety from LSU. Just a huge pick. Uh, They got, you know, I I love that move. They got in the third round, Jordan Elliott, a defensive lineman from Missouri. I know somebody who played at Missouri. He speaks really highly of the guy. Uh, Harrison Bryant is an athletic tight end they got in the fourth round from Florida Atlantic. They got a center from Washington, Nick Harris, in the fifth round. And then in the sixth round, They got Donovan Peoples-Jones, a receiver from Michigan, who is a guy that he's really raw. He needs coaching. But Donovan Peoples-Jones very well could have his best football ahead of him in the NFL. I just can't say enough, man. The Browns really, really got a lot of value in the draft. They might have had possibly the best overall draft in, in the NFL draft in 2020 because they just got players over and over again. I'm like, I can't believe that guy fell that far and landed in that round to the Cleveland Browns. I went, wow, great pick after great pick. Um, Now, I believe either the Browns had the best overall draft in the NFL, or it was this team number four, the Miami Dolphins. I love what the Dolphins are doing. In free agency, they added Byron Jones, a corner from Dallas, who is, they gave him a massive contract. He's great to work into the system that Brian Flores runs as the head coach in Miami. Now, Brian Flores used to coach in New England, and when he was in New England, he coached linebacker Kyle Van Noy. He brought Kyle Van Noy in from New England to play for the Dolphins. Huge move in free agency. They got Jordan Howard, a running back from the Eagles. And then they also brought in guard Eric Flowers. Here's the story behind Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers was drafted in the first round in 2015 by the New York Giants. And Eric Flowers was really widely considered a bust in New York because he played tackle, which is the outside position on the offensive line. Now, he went to the Washington Redskins, and in Washington, they moved him from tackle inside to guard. And at guard, he played really well and really excelled. And I think that the move going from outside to the interior offensive lineman position really, really helped Eric Flowers. And so I think, man, signing Eric Flowers was a great move. He's not a bust. He's a guy who is playing the wrong position for a couple years. And Eric Flowers, man, I think makes the Dolphins' offensive line immediately much better. When you look back at the four players, at least four starters were added in free agency by the Miami Dolphins. They got Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, Eric Flowers, and Jordan Howard. I love everything they did in free agency in Miami. 
But then in the draft, the Dolphins did great again. They drafted number five overall. They got quarterback Tua Tungavaloa from Alabama. What a great move. He's our new franchise quarterback. And here's what I love about this pick as well. The Dolphins have quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick already there in the building. A veteran guy, a stable quarterback. And the benefit there is they can play Ryan Fitzpatrick week one, and there is no rush at all to get Tua on the field. Even if he doesn't play at all next year, I'm not concerned because Ryan Fitzpatrick's a good quality quarterback. And having Tua sit and learn behind him is going to be so, so helpful. We see a lot of quarterbacks get drafted early on, thrown to the fire week one, and it's not a problem. A lot of guys do well. But think if Jameis Winston, the quarterback in Tampa Bay, had a year behind a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, a veteran, who's been all over the NFL learning how to work and how to lead in the NFL. I love that the Dolphins are putting Tua in a really good position to succeed in Miami. Now, not only that, 18th overall, the Dolphins added Austin Jackson, an offensive tackle from USC. They drafted 30th overall, a corner, Noah Igbenogany from uh, Auburn. Now, Noah Igbenogany was such a good pick because... Dolphins head coach Brian Flores plays a lot of man coverage on defense. And now the Dolphins have three really good corners, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, and Noah. We'll call him Igbo, uh, who can play. Noah Igbo can play a slot receiver on the inside in man coverage. It's so great. They also, you know, they added uh, a lineman, Robert Hunt, in the second round. Robert Hunt is a guy from Louisiana Lafayette who's really, really raw, needs coaching, needs to develop as a player. But he's so physically talented, he could really become a great Great lineman in the NFL. They also added Raekwon Davis, a defensive end from Alabama in the second round. I'm really curious if Raekwon Davis will ever develop into an NFL starter, like a really big-time player. Uh, He was good at Alabama, but kind of streaky. Got kind of dominated by Georgia at times. Uh, Now, there's one more fun pick the Miami Dolphins had in the NFL draft. I just love. If you're a a fan of Navy, listen up. Uh, In the seventh round, and this is a player I have gotten so many messages about. In the seventh round, the Dolphins drafted Malcolm Perry. He's listed as a running back. He's just a stud athlete. He played quarterback in, at Navy, the Naval Academy. In 2019, he was the AAC Offensive Player of the Year. And he's a wild card because he's such a good athlete. He makes really big plays. He did in college, at least. And so many people love him. I get so many messages about Malcolm Perry. Um, I'd love to see Malcolm Perry make an impact in Miami, but I'd love the pick because he's so versatile. They can do so many different things with Malcolm Perry. He's a great high-effort level guy, and I would love to see him contribute and make an impact for the Dolphins. But all around, take a step back and look at the Dolphins. In free agency, in the NFL draft, they have made so many high-quality moves I really, really love. I love the culture they're building. I love the head coach, and I love the direction that the Miami Dolphins are headed in. But they added a ton of really great players in the last couple months. Now, the final team that stands out to me, we really will talk about two more. Um, but the final team that stands out to me when I think about teams that have improved in the last couple months, I got to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they added quarterback Tom Brady. They brought in tight end Rob Gronkowski. They drafted a tackle, Tristan Wirfs, from Iowa. They added Antoine Winfield, a junior, a safety from Minnesota in the NFL draft. And it's clear to me that the Broncos are just, excuse me, the Broncos, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are way, way, way better today than they were in January. They just have come a long way as a roster. And I just love what they've done. Adding a quarterback, I just had to mention them because it's so clear to me. I can't talk about teams that have improved without talking about the team that added Tom Brady and got that much better. 
Uh, and that's, that's not just because Tom Brady's good. I mean, they added quality around everywhere. Uh, but there's one final nugget I want to talk about, which is that the Carolina Panthers drafted really interestingly. The Panthers added Derek Brown, a defensive lineman from Auburn, in the first round. In the second round, they drafted Itor Gross Matos. He's got the coolest name ever. Itor Gross Matos is a defensive end from Penn State. And then and they also added, by the way, a, a safety, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Chin, in the second round as well. But to me, the Panthers' first two picks really say a lot about what they're trying to do as a football team. Because in the Panthers' divisions, here are the quarterbacks they play. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Matt Ryan. They need to get after the quarterback in Carolina with the Panthers. And so they drafted accordingly, man. They brought in two defensive linemen, you know, the first two draft, uh, first two picks. And uh, I believe the Panthers need to keep building their roster. I don't think they're ready to win right now. But I love what they're building in Charlotte, North Carolina. They're headed in a really good direction that I like. And I had to give them a shout-out. The Panthers, man, are doing really good stuff. And I just love where they're going as a football team. And I love that they recognize we play a ton of really good quarterbacks. We'd better step up and start having a plan to come get after the quarterback. And to me, those are the teams that really stand out to me. Teams that have really gotten better and improved since the Super Bowl on February 2nd, 2020. Okay, here's a big question after the 2020 NFL Draft. What are the Patriots doing at quarterback? What is their plan? Do they have a plan at quarterback? Because the Patriots did not draft a quarterback in the 2020 NFL Draft. Currently, the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots Week 1 is going to be Jarrett Stidham, who was a rookie last year. They drafted him in the fourth round. And some people have the theory that the Patriots are tanking to try to get a quarterback in the 2021 NFL Draft. But I just don't buy that. I do not believe that Bill Belichick is going to intentionally try to lose games. I just don't think that's what they're going to do. I mean, think about this. Optically, if Bill Belichick has Tom Brady leave and then does horrible and has the number one overall pick, how does that look? It looks really, really bad. Like, oh, uh, Bill Belichick is nothing without Tom Brady. I don't think Bill Belichick wants that view or image of him. He wants to win football games. You also have to acknowledge that Here's, here's what I think might be possible Patriots thinking. Early on when Tom Brady was the quarterback of the New England Patriots, he was really solid. Not amazing, but a good quarterback who made good decisions and took care of the football. And you got to recognize, people don't really understand this. Tom Brady got much better as the years went on. In 2002, he was not the same quarterback as he was in 2007. They're just dramatically different players And in 2007, he was way, way better as a quarterback. But the early years of the Tom Brady Patriots were a team that was led by a good defense. They ran the ball really well. And Tom Brady, as quarterback, played really safe. He took care of the ball and didn't turn it over. He played just efficient, smart football and then became even more efficient as the years went on. I really think that Bill Belichick might look at Tom Brady and Jarrett Stidham. You know, he might look at... 2002 and 2003 Tom Brady and think, you know, man, we can have Jarrett Stidham do a very, very similar thing by playing solid and safe football, taking care of the ball, not having a bunch of turnovers. The Patriots are going to have a goal to play good defense. They always do. And it really seems like Bill Belichick is planning to move forward with Jarrett Stidham as their quarterback for the 2020 NFL season. 
I don't know, man. I, I got to say, I liked Jarrett Stidham coming out of college. It was not a surprise to me. Jarrett Stidham fell in the draft of the fourth round. But the reason why Jarrett Stidham fell in the draft was because he didn't have enough NFL-level throws. You also have to acknowledge that during Jarrett Stidham's senior year at Auburn, he had a really bad offensive line, and he had receivers who dropped a ton, a ton of passes. I did a full film analysis of uh, Jarrett Stidham going into the NFL draft. If you look up Jarrett Stidham film analysis, you'll find that video. Go to YouTube, look up Jarrett Stidham film analysis. You really will find it. Um, but a lot of things around Jarrett Stidham in college really hurt him. But they were things that he couldn't control, things that were out of his ability to do better with. But in college, he made good decisions with what he had. He often threw the ball to the right location, even if sometimes he was late and sometimes he was inaccurate. Now, what's really, really fascinating to me, I went back and watched that film analysis video. I looked at some of the film I already had of Jarrett Stidham from college. It's oddly, oddly similar to Justin Herbert's senior year at Oregon. Jarrett Stidham's senior year at Auburn and Justin Herbert's senior year at Oregon are just very, very similar. And it's interesting to me that Justin Herbert went number six overall to Oregon and Jarrett Stidham fell all the way down to the fourth round. I think, you know, I think six overall is too early for both of those players. And the fourth round might be a bit too low. Somewhere in the middle is really where Jarrett Stidham and Justin Herbert should have been drafted. And because of the film being very similar from their senior years, you know, I, I said for Justin Herbert, he needed to sit for a year to get better and improve and fix his problems as a quarterback. Well, the reality for Jarrett Stidham is that's exactly what he's done. The Patriots quarterback, Jarrett Stidham, did sit for a year, and he sat behind Tom Brady, who's, whether you think he's the greatest quarterback of all time, I don't think really matters. you got to acknowledge Tom Brady is an incredible quarterback, and if you were Tom Brady's backup and you paid attention, you took notes and you learned, you probably got a lot better as a quarterback. And so it's very possible that maybe Jarrett Stidham is better than we realize. Maybe Jarrett Stidham is the answer at quarterback for the New England Patriots, or at least the plan for the Patriots moving forward as their quarterback. I I think people aren't paying enough attention or really making a big enough deal. Maybe Jarrett Stidham got better, and maybe Jarrett Stidham is better than we think. I'm not saying Jarrett Stidham is going to be an All-Pro or a a Pro Bowl player next year, but maybe Jarrett Stidham can play the way Tom Brady did in 2002 or 2003, where he played really good, really efficient football, didn't carry the team to victory, But if the Patriots have a good, solid defense, they run the ball well, and Jarrett Stidham plays safe and takes care of the ball, I really think the Patriots could compete and have a solid season. Uh, Pay attention to the Patriots, man. Jarrett Stidham might be their plan moving forward as their quarterback. Now, a big question right now in the NFL is, what the heck are the Green Bay Packers thinking? You know, not only did the Packers draft a quarterback in the first round of the NFL draft when they already have Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. But Packers fans are really hoping and kind of banking on the fact that they believed their team was going to draft a receiver in the 2020 NFL draft. That didn't happen. The draft came and went, and the Packers did not draft a receiver. So I think this is some possible Packers thinking. This might be what the Green Bay Packers management's plan is. You know, they drafted a running back, A.J. Dillon, from Boston College in the second round. They also drafted three interior offensive linemen. And the fact that they ignored completely the receiver position, other than they signed one guy, I think, in free agency after the draft, an undrafted free agency after the draft had already happened. 
I believe the Packers are continuing to build a team that can run the ball really well and play stout defense. They are leaning into, hey, our team is going to be a team that runs the ball really, really well. You know, people keep bashing the Packers management saying, you know, these guys are morons. They're, they're just complete morons. They're not. Matt LaFleur is not a moron, the Packers head coach. There's clearly some kind of plan. You might not understand the plan, but Green Bay is not full of morons. They have something going on behind the scenes. They have a plan. You have to ask the question, what did Matt LaFleur's offense do with the Tennessee Titans? Remember, Matt LaFleur was the Titans offensive coordinator for one year in Tennessee. They ran the ball really, really well. And who became the breakout star on offense for the Green Bay Packers last year? Oh, uh, the running back, Aaron Jones. And guess where Matt LaFleur's brother coaches? The San Francisco 49ers. Mike LaFleur coaches for the 49ers. And what do the 49ers do well? (gasps) They run the ball really well. The Packers appear to me to be building a team and building an offense similar to the the San Francisco 49ers. Our offense is going to run the ball really well. We'll play good defense. It just seems to me there's a plan in Green Bay that we on the outside don't understand. But I believe they're building a team that could run the ball well and play solid defense. But they want to be a run-first team. Look at the moves they've made. Look at how they played last year. Were the Packers lighting it up with their passing game? They weren't. They were running the ball well, protecting the ball, playing good defense. That is the Packers' strategy to me moving forward. And I think people are calling management morons in Packers in the Packers organization. I just don't think it's true. I don't think the people running the Packers are idiots. They're not. Maybe, now maybe they are. Maybe their plan doesn't work, but they have a plan. I guess that's my point here. I'm not saying their plan's a good one, but clearly there is a plan that Packers fans just aren't in on. That's what I'm saying. That's their plan to me, is they're trying to build a team that can run the ball. Is it going to work or not? I have no idea. I think it will because it worked last year. But everyone's talking about the quarterback position and throwing the ball and getting receivers. I don't think that's the primary goal of the Packers and their offensive plan. The Packers' offensive plan to me appears like they're trying to build a team that runs the ball really, really well, very similar to the San Francisco 49ers. And remember, the 49ers kicked their butt in the NFC Championship game, and they went on to lose the Super Bowl, but they got to a Super Bowl, which is better than the Packers did last year. Again, I think the Packers are building a team to run the ball, not trying to throw and set a bunch of records throwing. I just think people don't understand what the plan is, and they need to stop calling out Packers management. I don't think they're morons. They have a plan. You just might not like the plan that they have. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Jacob Eason, a quarterback who was drafted. Uh, We'll talk about Jalen Hurts, Jameis Winston going to the Saints. And then later we'll talk about the Trent Williams trade to the 49ers. We'll talk about Jake Fromm. We'll talk about the Last Dance, episode three and four. And then at the very end of the show, I have a fun, fun story involving Pat McAfee that I just think is a a blast. We'll have fun with that. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to start by talking about this. This is a move that really stood out to me over the weekend. Um, in the fourth round of the 2020 NFL Draft, with the 122nd overall pick, the Colts drafted quarterback... Jacob Beeson out of the University of Washington. This, to me, is a perfect, perfect location for Jacob Beeson to go to. I 
love this move. Now, here's why I love it. The Colts already have a quarterback, Phillip Rivers, who played for the Chargers for years. In fact, they are not only have Phillip Rivers, they have two dudes ahead of Jacob Eason who have been in the NFL for a while. They have Phillip Rivers, who is the starter, and the number two quarterback, the very clear backup quarterback in Indianapolis, is Jacoby Brissett. Now, what Jacob Eason can do behind these two quarterbacks is come in, sit, and learn how to be an NFL quarterback. But it's not just that. The Colts also have head coach Frank Reich, who was a NFL quarterback for years. So they have a lot of people in that building who know what it takes to be an NFL quarterback who can really help teach Jacob Eason the ropes if he's open to it. If Jacob Eason sits in there and asks a, bu- asks a bunch of questions and soaks it all up like a sponge. Now, it's kind of crazy to me because Jacob Eason's film, in my opinion, was slightly better than Justin Herbert's, and Justin Herbert went number six overall. Now, they were very similar. They were both had a lot of mistakes, and neither Justin Herbert or Jacob Eason, to me, had the film of what would be an NFL starter right now. But, man, Jacob Eason and Herbert were neck and neck, and when it came down to decision-making and arm strength and accuracy, Jacob Eason was actually a little bit better and had the ability to throw a touch a lot better than Justin Herbert did. And I just go back to it's crazy to me that Number six overall, Justin Herbert went to the Chargers, and Jacob Eason fell all the way down to the fourth round. I think Jacob Eason was a little bit better than a fourth-round quarterback. I think Justin Herbert was a lot lower, should have been drafted lower than the sixth overall pick. Uh, But the dude, to me, is super, super talented. But here is the number one issue that Jacob Eason had in college. I've been saying this for months and months. His work ethic was a concern. Jacob Eason transferred from Georgia to Washington, and as a result, because of NCAA rules, he had to sit out for a year, meaning that all Jacob Eason could do was practice. He could not play in games for that year he had off. Now, the University of Washington staff was really, really frustrated that he did not master their offense in that year off. He is a super, super physically talented quarterback, but he had a hard time beating out a guy named Jake Hayner in their fall camp, a guy who Jake Hayner, who's very physically average, but it was making better decisions down the stretch because he just mastered the offense and Jacob Eason hadn't. Now, in the end, Jacob Eason was, became the starter at UW. They went with him because he had just more potential as a quarterback. But it was not because of Eason's decision-making. Now, people I know in the UW building were telling me for months and months, since about September, going, man, we are frustrated with this guy's work ethic. And I want to point out that if people in the Washington building were willing to tell me that, just imagine what they told NFL scouts and people in the NFL, they probably were ringing the bell. Hey, uh, Jacob Eason has work ethic concerns. We are concerned about what he does. Now, I want to be very, very clear. I do not like saying any of this stuff. I am rooting for Jacob Eason. He's from my area in the Northwest. We actually trained together a little bit in high school. We shared a field a couple times. And I am not alone here, though, in my concerns, You know, sharing my concerns about his work ethic. Here is what ESPN NFL Insider Chris Mortensen said, he said, I quote, As teams peeled back the onion on Jacob Eason, they found evaluations and information that his work ethic is an issue. Accountability is an issue. Now, I believe Jacob Eason has an incredible opportunity here to change his story and change the story people tell about him. You know, two years from now, what will people in the Colts building say about Jacob Eason because two years from now, Jacob Eason can control the narrative about him. Will people be able to say he works 
incredibly hard. He is hungry. People like him, and it's obvious he wants to be an NFL starting quarterback. If Jacob Eason goes into that building and just works his butt off and proves everybody, hey, I can't have a great work ethic. I really want it. He can change the narrative about him. And when the Colts drafted him, he posted on social media, let's get to work, let's build something. I really liked what he said on Instagram. Now, the fact that the Colts have Phillip Rivers as their quarterback right now might really, really help Jacob Eason. Because Phillip Rivers has a legendary work ethic. There's a quote in Hoosiers, I can't remember exactly, I'm going to paraphrase it. But the head coach is talking to one of his players, and he's talking about a guy, you know, the, the player is guarding the other team's best player. And the coach says, I want you to get so close to him, you can tell me what flavor gum he's chewing. I want Jacob Eason to be so close to Philip Rivers, he knows his favorite type of gum. He wants, I want him to do everything he does, follow him everywhere. If Philip Rivers gets to the facility at 5 in the morning, Jacob Eason better have breakfast ready for Philip when he gets there. In the parking lot, hey man, I'm here right, right before you, here's your breakfast. If Philip Rivers is staying at the facility till 10 p.m. watching film, Jacob Eason better be next to him taking notes and asking questions. Not annoyingly, but be a sponge, man. Jacob Eason has an opportunity here to take up so much information. He can copy Philip Rivers' habits. He can learn from Jacoby Brissett. He can ask Frank Reich questions. Jacob Eason needs to treat Philip Rivers like he's a professor and just learn as much information as he possibly can. And Jacoby Brissett, to me, is an integral part of this whole operation because, you know, Philip Rivers has never been hurt. He's, you know, never missed a start. In, I think, 16 years in a row, he's been a starting quarterback, never missed a game. But let's say that there is a possibility Philip Rivers got hurt next year as a Colts quarterback. Then guess who would come off the bench? Not Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason would still sit. Jacoby Brissett is number two, the next man up. Jacob Eason's number three. So there's no way that Jacob Eason's going to get forced into action too early or too quickly. And then again, having a former NFL quarterback, Frank Reich, as your head coach is going to help too. I am telling you, Jacob Eason is in a perfect, perfect situation to develop and learn how to be an NFL quarterback with the Colts. And in the long run, Jacob Eason could become the Colts franchise quarterback. Now, uh, the New Orleans Saints have reportedly signed a deal with Jameis Winston to be their next you know, backup quarterback. I don't even know how to say this properly. Currently in the works, I'm really going to have to work through the language of this. I-, I don't know how to say this properly, but right now, people are reporting that the Saints have, the New Orleans Saints have given Jameis Winston a one-year deal to be a quarterback on their roster. Now, the deal is not finalized. It's still up in the air. Now, the NFL Instagram account posted a picture of Jameis Winston wearing New Orleans Saints stuff, so it's still up in the air. I'm going to go along with the assumption that Jameis Winston is headed to New Orleans to be one of their new quarterbacks. And I just want to say, if this, in fact, is happening, if Jameis Winston is signing a one-year deal to be a new New Orleans Saints quarterback, I love the move so, so much. It takes a ton of maturity to show the kind of humility it takes to go from when you, Jameis wants to be a starting quarterback in the NFL and for him to take a backup job when he wants to be a starter, you know, to put his ego aside, I want to celebrate Jameis Winston's maturity here. If this indeed does go through, it's worth noting that reportedly Jameis turned down a contract elsewhere, which is worth a little bit more money to go to New Orleans, to be with Drew Brees, to work with Sean Payton, the head coach. If you don't know, Jameis is the former Tampa Bay Buccaneers starting quarterback who was replaced by Tom Brady, and he's incredibly talented. 
So not only is he moving within the division, going from the Buccaneers to a division rival in New Orleans Saints, he's going to work with Drew Brees and Saints head coach Sean Payton. And I, I love this move so much. Sean Payton really helped Drew Brees become the quarterback he is. Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I read Drew Brees' book, Coming Back Stronger, a couple of years ago. And he really talks about the impact that Sean Payton had, teaching him little things that made him a better quarterback fundamentally. For Jameis to come into the Saints and have similar coaching that Drew got to become a better quarterback is just so good for Jameis. I mean, he has always been incredibly, incredibly talented. He's got this amazing ability to throw the ball. But he's had issues you know, on and off the field with decision-making. Now he can sit and learn from Drew Brees. And I just think, man, for him to learn Drew Brees' habits, learn how he leads, learn about his decision-making process, I think it's phenomenal. And you got to look back in history. A couple of years ago, Jameis Winston was the number one overall pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in his rookie year, he started 16 games. There was never a moment where Jameis Winston sat behind a veteran quarterback to learn and you know to understand how to become a pro quarterback and how to become a really how, what it takes to be a professional truly. He was thrown to the fire immediately. So for, to have Jameis Winston come in and sit and learn behind Drew Brees, it, it makes me so excited because it's an optimal, optimal situation, you know, not only for Jameis, but also for the, for the New Orleans Saints. They can give Jameis a one-year tryout. They can find out does this work? Do we like him? Do we want to keep him long-term? It's oddly similar to what the New Orleans Saints did with Teddy Bridgewater. And if you remember, Teddy Bridgewater was the Vikings franchise quarterback. He got hurt. He lost his job. And he found himself in New Orleans behind Drew Brees. He sat. He learned. And he just signed a big contract with the Carolina Panthers to be their new quarterback. This could go two ways. Either Jameis Winston can sit and learn and then eventually leave to go to another football team and be their starting quarterback after this year. And if that happens, the New Orleans Saints would get a compensatory, uh, compensatory? How do you say the word? I don't know. Uh, a, a draft pick because of the move, because of losing Jameis, the Saints would get a draft pick out of it. And if they really like him, if Jameis shows a lot of progress and becomes a better quarterback, the New Orleans Saints could in fact decide to keep Jameis Winston and make him the successor to Drew Brees. I just don't see a situation I don't see a way that anybody loses in all this moving. I think it's phenomenal. And you see sometimes in Formula One, uh, one of my, I, love, I love Formula One racing. You'll see a situation where you know, there are so many starting NFL quarterback jobs, and racing is very similar where there are so few driver seats in Formula One. You'll see sometimes a guy will be an odd man out. You know, last year, uh, Esteban Ocon kind of found himself in this situation. He went to Mercedes to be a reserve driver. He waited around. He learned from the best. And now Esteban Ocon is driving for Reynolds after one year off. We could see something very similar with Jameis Winston where he takes a year off, he learns behind Drew Brees, and then goes somewhere else and becomes a starting quarterback and is better for the year he took off learning from other people. Now, currently, I want to point this out. If the Saints do add Jameis Winston, they would have four quarterbacks on their roster. Drew Brees, Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston... And they just drafted Tommy Stevens, a quarterback out of Mississippi State, in the seventh round. Now, the reason why they grabbed him in the seventh round is because they wanted exclusive rights to sign him. They wanted him on their team, not on somebody else's team. The reason why they brought him in to me is he's kind of a hybrid-type quarterback. He played that way in college, very similar to Taysom Hill from a skill set perspective where he's a huge kid, got a solid arm. But really, the reason why you get excited about Tommy Stevens is... 
his ability to run the ball and be an athlete. So four quarterbacks is wild. Most teams don't really even have three on their roster. And Tommy Stevens may not make the roster, but he might. And normally, again, the reason why teams don't have three or four quarterbacks is because normally a third or fourth quarterback on your roster is a wasted roster spot where it's a guy holding a clipboard who only has one job to watch film and hang out. If you're a backup quarterback, you really don't do a lot of stuff during the week in practice or on game day. But Taysom Hill is not just a guy holding a clipboard. He's a guy who really contributes to the Saints roster. He runs the ball. He catches passes. He plays special teams. He has brought tremendous value to the Saints roster. And Tommy Stevens could do a very similar thing where the Saints have basically created a new position in football. I call it like a hybrid quarterback where the guy runs as a running back. He runs as a receiver. He catches passes. He plays special teams. He also plays quarterback occasionally. It's very interesting what the Saints have done with Taysom Hill. And the Saints only have, by the way, one Taysom Hill type quarterback. Now, if Taysom Hill gets hurt, Tommy Stevens could come off the bench and be a backup Taysom Hill playing a similar hybrid quarterback role. There is a real chance here that the Saints have four quarterbacks on their roster next year. It's rare. It almost never happens. But the reason why they might do it is because Tommy Stevens and Taysom Hill could both bring value on special teams and contribute as players more than just being a backup quarterback holding a clipboard. That's really fascinating. It'd be kind of nerdy football stuff, but I really think it's interesting. The Saints could have four quarterbacks next year, and it'd be totally unique and totally make sense to me. All right. Um, in the second round, number 53 overall, the Philadelphia Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts. The quarterback out of Oklahoma. What the heck? You know, I believe I might have made a big mistake before the NFL draft, by the way. I watched the film of Joe Burrow, Tua Tungvaloa, Jordan Lowe, Jacob Eason, Justin Herbert, and then I ranked them in that order. And you know, I made a video called Ranking the Top 5 Quarterbacks in the 2020 NFL Draft. And it's really unfortunate that after I made that video and after I made that topic is when I then dove into watching film of Jalen Hurts, the quarterback from Oklahoma, It's a big mistake. Jalen Hurts should have been in my top five quarterbacks. He probably, I would have put him number three. I would have said Joe Burrow, Tua Tungvaloa, then Jalen Hurts as my number three quarterback on the board. I really felt that strongly about him. He was great on film. Way, way better than I thought he was going to be. I think the problem with Jalen Hurts is that he got benched at Alabama a couple years ago and replaced by Tua. And I think after that, people kind of stopped paying attention to Jalen and really wrote him off. And no one really paid attention to his massive, massive improvement as a quarterback in the last couple of years, especially at Oklahoma. Last year at Oklahoma, he made great decisions. He was more accurate than I expected him to be. He was good at improvising, extending running rounds and extending plays. And I was talking to Brett Coleman about this. Brett Coleman is probably, in my opinion, the very best draft analyst in the world when it comes to understanding every single position at a really technical level and predicting what's going to happen in the draft. And me and Brett were talking and he said he felt like most people focused on Jalen Hurts problems rather than his good plays. Like with Justin Herbert, we saw Justin Herbert drafted number six overall and people only focused on Justin Herbert's good plays and ignored his bad plays. Meanwhile, with Justin Herbert, with Jalen Hurts, excuse me, the opposite happened where people only focused on Jalen Hurts negative plays and totally ignore Jalen's good plays. Very odd to me. And when, when Brett Coleman pointed that out to me, he's totally right. People zeroed in on like the three good p- throws a game a, uh, Justin Herbert would have. 
And meanwhile, totally write off Jalen Hurts because of his three bad throws during a game, focusing only on the good with Justin Herbert and only the bad with Jalen Hurts. And I just think it's fascinating to me. Jalen Hurts was a lot better than people realized. But here's the question. Why would the Eagles draft him? Number one, immediately, it's very possible that the Eagles could use Jalen Hurts the way that the Saints use Taysom Hill, kind of as a hybrid quarterback, a guy who can run the ball, he can play quarterback a little bit normally, but really a guy who can contribute to your team in so many ways because of his athletic ability. But Jalen Hurts also, whether he plays as a quarterback or plays on special teams, regardless of what he does, he makes your roster better because of who he is. He's a guy with tremendous character, his work ethic, his leadership. People want him in the building. But you also have to remember that Doug Peterson, the Eagles head coach, played quarterback in the NFL. He loves the quarterback position. He's a nerd about quarterbacks. And I believe as a coach, Doug Peterson looked at Jalen Hurts and the value he brought and what he saw on film and said, man, I cannot pass up on an opportunity to work with Jalen Hurts. Is he going to be our starting quarterback? No. Does that make any sense? Not really, but I want to draft him and work with him. And Jalen Hurts' legacy is work ethic and improvement. That's what he did in college. He worked really hard. And he got way better. I am absolutely certain that Doug Peterson looks at Jalen Hurts and goes, I can make that kid better. I can work with Jalen Hurts and make him a better quarterback. Now, what's the future for Jalen Hurts? Is he the franchise quarterback for the Eagles? No, not really. Could he be a a Taysom Hill type guy, a hybrid who brings value to the Eagles roster? Probably. I think that's what they'll do this year with him. But in the long run, either this, maybe Carson Wentz gets hurt. And Jalen Hurts proves to be really helpful as a backup for the Eagles. We've seen multiple times Carson Wentz has got hurt at really inconvenient times, and they've needed a backup quarterback. But also, maybe a couple years from now, two years from now, down the road, the Eagles look, hey, we got Jalen Hurts number 53 overall for a second-round pick. Maybe down the road, they trade Jalen Hurts for a first-round pick or a second-round pick and a third-round pick. They can. The word Brett Coleman used when we talked is he said, Maybe flip Jalen Hurts. Uh, I love that. And you never really know. But I really strongly believe that Jalen Hurts is going to make the most of his opportunity with the Eagles. He works incredibly hard. And I honestly believe Jalen could become a franchise quarterback. Probably not with the Eagles. Carson Wentz is their dude. But look for maybe Jalen Hurts to be traded down the road by the Eagles. They can use what was a second round pick and get even more value down the road by trading him away to another team. I think he's much, much better than people realize. And Doug Peterson goes, man, I can use that player. I can work with him. And I can make him way, way better as a quarterback. Great, phenomenal pick by the Eagles. It may not pay huge dividends this year. Maybe he's just a hybrid type quarterback. But look for him to be a trade piece down the road. Howie Roseman is a really, really smart general manager for the Philadelphia Eagles. He knows what he's doing. I really believe in him and trust him. And... He got a great, great draft pick with Jalen Hurts, a guy who's way better than 53rd overall in the NFL draft, a lot better. His film was incredible, really surprised me, and a lot better than Justin Herbert, who was number six overall in the NFL draft, which is crazy to me. Justin Herbert, six overall, Jalen Hurts, number 53 overall. Are you kidding me? But it's because people could not overlook the changes he's made as a quarterback over the years. He's a great leader. He can do a lot. Jalen Hurts can play special teams, kind of be that hybrid quarterback. And I believe the Eagles are going to design very specific plays for Jalen Hurts' skill set. Carson Wentz is the Eagles quarterback. They have a huge contract with him. There's no danger of Carson 
losing his job. But the Eagles look at Jalen Hurts as a developmental player who is worth way more than a second-round pick. And I just really think that the Eagles made a great, great draft pick by bringing in Jalen Hurts in the second round. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the Trent Williams trade. Trent Williams has traded from the Redskins to the 49ers. The rich get richer. We'll talk about Jake Fromm, the new backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. We'll talk about The Last Dance, uh, Episode 3 and 4, the Michael Jordan you know, Chicago Bulls docuseries. And then at the very end of the show, I have a really fun Pat McAfee story. And I kind of, it's one of the more fun topics I've done in a while, kind of hypothetical. I can't wait to talk about guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break and I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, You know, the phrase that comes to mind for this next story is that old phrase, the rich get richer. The 49ers do not need another good player. But the 49ers have traded for left tackle Trent Williams from the Washington Redskins. Now, the Redskins got a 2025th round pick that they used in this draft to draft Keith Ismail, who played center at San Diego State. They also got a third round pick in next year's draft, the 2021 NFL draft. But two things made this trade happen and kind of were the driving force behind this move. Number one is that Trent Williams has wanted out of Washington for a long time long time. He didn't play a down of football last year in 2019. He held out for half of the year. And the 49ers won this trade. It's pretty obvious, though, that the Redskins were never going to get a good value for Trent Williams because he just had no leverage in the trade because Trent Williams wasn't going to play for them. He wanted out really badly. And just that word leverage comes to mind. The Redskins had no leverage with Trent Williams. Now, the 49ers traded for him because their former left tackle, Joe Staley, announced his retirement. Now, he really thoughtfully did it in the time frame he did because he wanted the 49ers to be able to have time to replace him. Now, Trent Williams is 31 years old, and the last time he played football, he was named to the NFL's top 100 list as a really, really great left tackle. He was number 81 on the NFL's top 100 list of all the— that included every single position in the NFL— now, his peers spoke really, really highly of him. And, you know, he played the notable thing that Trent Williams had when he was back playing two years ago was his ability to move. He just was so, so athletic and agile. And I just, am, I got to say, like, number one, for this trade, I am so, so happy for Trent Williams. He wanted out of Washington and he's wanted out of that organization for so, so long. And he also got sent to a really good organization, the 49ers, where they're a good team, they're a winning team, and they need him. So he's going to play, he's going to be appreciated and loved, and he's probably going to win a lot of games with the 49ers. I think, man, this could not be a better landing spot for Trent Williams. But here's what's crazy to me. You know, my big takeaway from this trade is that both the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs went to the Super Bowl last year. And both teams made a ton of moves this offseason— the Chiefs kind of, their strategy was we got to keep our group together. You know, it's, it's pretty insane. They made, you know, Sammy Watkins, one of their star receivers, took a pay cut to stay in Kansas City. And then not only that, the Chiefs drafted a star running back, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from the LSU team. He's just a phenomenal running back. They got him in the first round. Just a total steal that they got that running back who's going to be, I think, a huge impact player on the Chiefs offense last, you know, this next year. But the Chiefs group, you know, they kept their group together. And ultimately, by adding Clyde Edwards-Alaire, they got better. 
Now, the 49ers had a very different strategy, but they made a lot of moves this offseason as well to try to keep their team in contention. They lost to Forrest Buckner, who was an incredible defensive you know, tackle for them, and they lost receiver Emmanuel Sanders. Now, they replaced both in the first round of the NFL draft, and what's interesting is they replaced them both and got cheaper options. They, they lost DeForest Buckner to the Colts, but number 14 overall, they drafted Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle out of South Carolina. And then they also drafted a receiver, drafted a receiver, excuse me, not B, not, it's D, drafted Brandon Ayuk, a receiver out of Arizona State. They replaced both the receiver and defensive tackle positions that they needed in the first round of the NFL draft with cheaper options, mind you. Not only that, but they also upgraded at left tackle. I love Joe Staley. Uh, I think if you're a 49er fan, you got to say, you know, Joe Staley, thank you for your service. He gave them years and years of really great, really hard work. But Trent Williams is younger. Joe Staley was 35 years old. I guess he still is 35 years old. He didn't, he didn't die. He just retired. And Trent Williams, on the other hand, is 31. He's younger. He's a better left tackle all around based on the last time Trent Williams played. More athletic, really an incredible left tackle. And, you know, both, both teams that went to the Super Bowl, though, the Chiefs and the 49ers found a way with the moves they made this offseason to stay in contention. The Chiefs really kept their group together. The 49ers didn't do that, but they made moves and really scrambled a bunch to keep their team to get, you know, in, in contention. They got another defensive tackle. They got another receiver. They upgraded the left tackle position with this trade for the Redskins. Got a steal, man. The rich got richer. The 49ers... All right, a really good football team. And the fact that they, for such a low, low price, got a new left tackle, Trent Williams, potentially going to be a pro bowler next year. Just an unbelievable move. I'm so happy for the 49ers. And uh, it's kind of scary to me all around. You know, the NFC West is so competitive. You have the Cardinals, who are an up-and-coming team. The Seattle Seahawks made the playoffs last year. The 49ers went to the Super Bowl. Who knows what the Rams are going to bring to the table. I just can't help but, you know... Be pretty much like, wow, the 49ers really are a good football team that's going to be competitive again next year. But here's what's really interesting to me. Javon Kinlaw was a fascinating prospect. He's super, super talented. That defensive tackle, they drafted 14th overall from South Carolina. People call him a boomer bust prospect because his tape from college was really, really inconsistent. You saw some really good plays and some really bad plays. The 49ers is the best possible place for him to go because he will play with a star defensive line. People around him on either side look to his right, look to his left. There are great players all around Javon Kinlaw that he's going to play with next year on the defensive line. D. Ford, Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa. And having great players around him is going to make him even better. It's going to hide his weaknesses and really allow what he's best at to show. His strengths are going to be really, really apparent. Javon Kinlaw is a home run pick by the San Francisco 49ers. I love it. I think he's going to be a really great move by them. And I really want to give them props. The way that the 49ers kept their team together deserves a lot of credit. And actually, me, not, didn't, they didn't keep their team together, but they found a way to replace what they lost. And then in the end, I think get a little bit better by adding Trent Williams. Man, the 49ers made great, great moves this offseason. And they deserve a lot of respect and a lot of admiration. John Lynch, the general manager there, has done nothing but make really, really good, really smart moves in his time with San Francisco, running the 49ers and their team. Let's talk about this. The Buffalo Bills drafted quarterback Jake Fromm out of Georgia in the fifth round. And 
I love this pick so much. I think it's awesome. Now, Jake Fromm is physically limited. And that's why he's not viewed as an NFL starting quarterback. He's kind of a career backup guy. Like He reminds me a lot of Case Keenum, a guy who does a lot of things right. Could be a guy who plays a little bit and does well. But Jake Fromm is not viewed as a potential starting quarterback in the NFL. But he is a perfect, perfect backup. And I am so, so happy for Buffalo. You know, Josh Allen is their starting quarterback. That's not going to change anytime soon. He's very secure as their guy. But Jake Fromm makes the quarterback room better. And because they, you know, they played together at Georgia, I'm going to talk about Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm. Because they played together at Georgia, they're always going to be compared to each other. And I always wished, I always felt kind of really sad when I watched Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason, especially on tape, because Jacob Eason always had all of the physical gifts. Jacob Eason is like such an incredibly talented quarterback physically. But Jacob Fromm really had all the things you wish Jacob Eason had had. Jake Fromm's work ethic, his leadership, his ability to watch tape and digest what a defense is doing. Jake Fromm had the passion for football I always wished that Jacob Eason would have. Uh, the, the, The former Georgia quarterback who went to Washington. And Jake Fromm really has everything you could possibly want in a quarterback. He's a football nerd. I can't say enough good things about him. I know people who played with Jake Fromm at Georgia, and they talked about how even as a freshman, he was a vocal leader. Hurry up, guys. Let's get on the line. He was yelling at people, pointing them out, getting them lined up correctly. As a freshman, an 18-year-old kid on their campus, not afraid to speak up and say his mind and be kind of the alpha male guy in their locker room. Um, I just really hope that Jake Fromm and the current quarterback in Buffalo, Josh Allen, I hope they become really good friends because they could they could create a really cool culture in that locker room and that in the quarterback room in Buffalo, they could just make a really special thing happen where you know Jake Fromm's love of watching film and breaking things down it could help Josh Allen for Josh Allen to be around a guy like Jake Fromm who's such a nerd about football and using him as like a right hand man to lean on and kind of work like an like an almost an assistant behind him. I think Fromm's passion for the game, passion for improving as a quarterback is going to be so good for the Buffalo Bills. Having him in that room makes their quarterback room better. And I just think, man, you know, the roles are clear. Josh Allen is the starter. Jake Fromm is going to be the backup. There's not going to be any confusion there. It's very clear who's who. But I just hope that the Buffalo Bills quarterbacks, Josh Allen and Jake Fromm, I hope they can collaborate and even become friends because if they can, they can collaborate and nerd out on football together. They could really both benefit. Jake Fromm's going to become a better quarterback in his time in Buffalo. And he could push Josh Allen from behind. And they could just become guys who love football together. Their roles are clear enough that I don't think there's going to be a rift about egos and who's the starter, yada, yada. And I just think, man, it's a great move all around for Buffalo. The reason why they brought in Jake Fromm is because their quarterback coach, I'm pretty sure, just went, man, Every conversation I had with Jake Fromm, I loved him. He's a dude who loves the game. He's a nerd about football. He does everything right. And they just wanted him in their quarterback room. They're like, we don't know how bringing in Jake Fromm is possibly a negative. He's one of the better leaders. Jake, you know, Jalen Hurts, the guy from Oklahoma, gets all the praise as a great leader. I think one of the unsung heroes and maybe one of the better leaders in college football in the last couple of years has been Jake Fromm at Georgia. And as a guy who... I just was sad when I watched Jake Fromm's film because he wasn't good enough really to be an NFL starting quarterback. But it's so clear to me that 
He works hard. He's got all the right traits and the right habits and a guy who has the desire and the heart. And so I, I just could not be happier for Buffalo. They got a fantastic, fantastic quarterback who is just a perfect backup and a guy who might be their backup for years and years to come. And to have that quarterback room be solid and hope, hopefully they get along, Josh Allen and Jake Fromm, makes me so, so happy for Buffalo. They have two guys who I think could really develop together and collaborate well in Buffalo. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the last dance. I loved episode three and four of the docuseries, The Last Dance. This is, of course, the Michael Jordan you know, slash Chicago Bulls documentary series. And two big storylines stood out to me in episode three and four. Number one, obviously, is Dennis Rodman. He was kind of the central focus of these two episodes. But number two is the impact of Phil Jackson, the coach in Chicago. So number one, you know, Dennis Rodman was a character. My girlfriend pointed out, I really enjoyed when she said this. She noticed that every single shot you saw from the past of Dennis Rodman, every shot from the 90s showed Dennis Rodman with another different hairstyle. There was no consistency in a good way. Like, it's very clear Dennis Rodman was always screwing around with his hair. He had piercings and all this kind of stuff. He was a wild dude. And Dennis Rodman loved to party hard, and he loved to play hard on the court. And one thing that really stood out to me, and all this stuff, the talking about Dennis Rodman, his story behind the scenes, I never knew. It was really sad, actually. There's a story about Dennis Rodman being found in a parking lot with a gun in his car. Presumably, he was considering ending his life. That, that was sad to me. But there's all this talk about Dennis Rodman. You know who he is. He's this legendary character. He's just a, an out-of-the-box, kind of out-there dude who's got a crazy party persona. And I just couldn't get over it. And I loved the fact that Michael Jordan let Dennis Rodman be Dennis Rodman. Michael Jordan was the leader of that Chicago Bulls team. And I believe it shows tremendous leadership by Michael Jordan and a tremendous, really his people skills are really shown brightly here. The fact that he could embrace Dennis Rodman and, you know, allow him to have such an opposite approach. I mean, Michael Jordan did not party he worked his butt off. He had a legendary work ethic. A guy who was very, very dedicated. And for him to have an understanding that Rodman's approach was different and letting it be different and that being okay is so cool to me. Michael Jordan very easily could have been like, this guy parties. He doesn't take it seriously. He doesn't have it. He understood, though, you know, in that last dance season, there's a really cool moment. The last dance season is that final year, the final run by the Chicago Bulls. Scottie Pippen did not play in 35 of those games. And Dennis Rodden, during those 35 games, was a model citizen for most of that, where he just focused up, said, I'm going to focus up. I'm going to be what Michael Jordan needs. It was just Michael and Dennis Rodman leading that Bulls team, trying to win games the best they could. So when Scottie Pippen came back, Dennis Rodman needed a release. And Phil Jackson, the coach, Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, they let Dennis Rodman go to Vegas during the like in the middle of the year and that's absurd to me to let a guy in the middle of the year go to Vegas for like you know 48 hours in Vegas it was ridiculous but it was necessary because it helped Dennis Rodman find himself and you know focus up and find his center and for me the fact that Michael Jordan was so tolerant of Dennis Rodman's ways shows tremendous tremendous leadership and an understanding of the people around you we've heard Tom Brady talk about he did a, a, Tom Brady did an interview with Howard Stern, and Tom Brady talked about how you have to be, allow other guys to have their approach and you know, try to work with them and not be confrontive. And Michael Jordan understood that the way to get the best out of Dennis Rodman 
was by letting him do his thing and have his ways and have his own approach and let him be kind of the weird creative genius he was. And I think that's the common thread when I think about Tom Brady and Michael Jordan. And maybe the unappreciated thing about Michael Jordan is, in fact, that leadership. In fact, that willingness to let Dennis Rodman do things his way. I've never thought about that. We've always heard uh, the story about Michael Jordan punching his teammate and there was kind of a rift and Michael Jordan's hard to work with. But the reality is Michael Jordan doesn't get enough credit for the way he treated Dennis Rodman, letting him be himself. I think it's so cool to me. Now, here's number two. People all the time say that, you know, people say, who would Tom Brady, the quarterback, be without the coach Bill Belichick? Would he have been the same quarterback without his coach? And I wonder, why does nobody ever say the same thing about Michael Jordan and his coach? You know, Doug Collins was the coach in Chicago before Phil Jackson took over as the Bulls head coach. And Doug Collins' strategy was to build a team around Michael Jordan. Now, the problem was that the Detroit Pistons figured this out, and their strategy was they zeroed in on Michael Jordan. They had that thing called the Jordan rules where they took Jordan out of the game. And when you did that, the Bulls had no answer. They had no other plan to how to win a game. Now, Phil Jackson became the coach, and he changed things. You know, he decided, let's have a more team-oriented strategy. We're going to have more ball movement. We're going to call it the triangle offense. That's what it was, that triangle offense, that you know, more ball movement, more movement off the ball. And it was, rel- it was less reliant on Michael Jordan's isolated ability to score points. And it worked. It won a ton of championships. And it's so interesting. You know, even in his interview, Michael Jordan said this. He said, without that change, Jordan would not have been the same dude. He wouldn't have been a guy who scored 30 points a game and probably never would have won a championship. Basically, when I heard that, I went, man, without Phil Jackson, Jordan would have been Russell Westbrook or James Harden, a guy who puts up a bunch of points and never really gets to the, you know, the the quote the guy said was, never wins the final game of the year. Phil Jackson played a massive, massive part in giving MJ the opportunity to play in a team-centric system. That's like a story no one seems to talk about with Michael Jordan. Now, I want to give props to Jordan for embracing that idea and putting his team number one. But Phil Jackson, the head coach, is an underrated part of Michael Jordan's legacy that no one ever seems to talk about or really appreciate. It's so interesting to me. You know, for the record, I hate the whole GOAT debate. Who's the greatest of all time? I don't care. It's not really a productive conversation because there's no metric. There's no way to value it. It's just all silliness. I think it's really something that ESPN and other sports networks invented to fill time and to create controversy when there was nothing else to talk about. The GOAT debate in a whole, I hate the GOAT debate. I think it's very, very silly. It's really not a productive conversation to have. And this is a new thing for me. You know, in the last two years, as a broadcaster, I've evolved. I have videos talking about the GOAT debate. But I think in the end, it's not really worth talking about because what does it matter? There's no common ground. You can't really find one. And there's no rubric. There's no way to measure that. And, and how do you how can you compare people from different eras? It makes no sense to me. Like how can you compare Kobe and LeBron and Jordan and Jerry Bird and it just there's no it makes no sense to me. But you got to recognize Phil Jackson's role in Michael Jordan's story is a reminder that the circumstance plays such a big part in how a player's career goes. You can be amazing by yourself. 
But winning as a team requires the right situation. Think of how many players historically have been so, so good, but never really had the right situation around them to give them an opportunity potentially to win a championship. I just think, man, I, I loved The Last Dance, episode three and four. They were really great. I loved hearing about the Detroit Pistons, the Jordan rules that the Pistons created to physically shut down Michael Jordan was so interesting. Uh, that story about Dennis Rodman in his car with a gun made me sad, and I, I really had never heard that before. Um, and I thought it was cool, man, hearing that Jerry Krause has been kind of the butt of the joke of this whole series, The Last Dance. People really widely have made fun of Jerry Krause. Why would you let Jerry Krause make decisions? But it was really interesting to me to hear about Jerry Krause and how hiring Phil Jackson, not only as the, the, you know, the Bulls head coach was Jerry Krause's idea, but even having... Phil Jackson on the coaching roster for the Bulls was really masterminded by Jerry Krause, and he made that happen multiple times. He had him come interview with the old head coach, then two years later, he brought Phil Jackson back again and helped him win the interview with Doug Collins. Jerry Krause kind of made it all happen, and people don't give him enough credit. We love to bash him, we love to talk about him, but as much as maybe Jerry Krause was the reason why the Bulls fell apart, He also deserves a lot of credit for being the reason why the Bulls came together in the first place. And I just think that I've seen a lot of people just shred Jerry Krause to pieces. And I don't know that's entirely fair because, again, he was really the reason why their team ever came together in the first place. Okay, uh, let's end the show with something really lighthearted. Someone sent me a message saying that Pat McAfee had a kind of throwaway line on the show saying, I'm going to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I... I heard this and it made my brain really go crazy and have a lot of fun. I think one of the things that the sports media does quite frequently is talk about hypotheticals. And I I really don't, in my head, I don't think I very often entertain ideas that are ridiculous or outlandish. And so I want to have fun with this one because when I heard this, it got me thinking. Now, I didn't see the clip. I didn't hear what Pat actually said. And I want to say I have a ton of respect for Pat and his team. They do really good work. He's got a lot of people working for him. And they do a lot of really good stuff on YouTube and on the podcast. Where I don't really listen to his podcast. Uh, I listened to an Adam Schefter interview he did one time. It was great. Um, and I, I occasionally will watch one of his, his videos because they really do make really good content. Um, but this whole idea, Pat McAfee returning to the NFL, it got my, my mind going. And here's why Pat McAfee should do an NFL comeback and join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So... If he did this, he would have to leave his show for a couple of months, three, four, maybe five months if they made a deep playoff run. And it would hurt his show. Definitely like him not hosting a show every single day would hurt, be bad for business in the short term. But think about the long-term ramifications and the benefit. You know, number one, he could still call in at least once a week and do like be a guest basically on his own show talking like calling every Wednesday. Here's you know Pat McAfee's weekly appearance. Uh, from the Buccaneers to talk about his season, how it's going. But again, minus the short-term effects, because it would hurt him to not be doing a show for like four or five months. But the long-term effect, man, it would help him so, so much. Number one, he might win a Super Bowl. And if Pat could win a Super Bowl, him being able to say forever, I won a Super Bowl in the NFL, he could say it. It'd be really, really great for his brand. There's always that phrase I think they use, for the brand. It's funny to me. Um, But he'd also be able to say that Not only did he play with Peyton Manning, but Pat McAfee could say he played with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. That's a big deal. And the stories that he would have after a year with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he'd be able to tell those stories for the rest of his life on his show and in his content. 
And then think about this. He retired at really the prime of his career. I really believe that one final year in the NFL where like a farewell tour where all along the way, he knows this is my final meeting. This is my final team dinner. This is my final game in Arizona. This is my final game in this city. He'd be able to enjoy the experience and understand like that. I, I, it would give him closure. When I played football, I never really had the awareness that my final game was my final game. I never knew like this is my last moment here, my last moment there. For Pat McAfee to get closer, I think it'd be really good for him to have an understanding. This is my farewell tour and my final year. And then, you know, not only that, as a football fan, I want to see Pat McAfee back in the NFL. It'd be so much fun. But, you know, I don't know if the Buccaneers even have an opening for Pat. I really don't. I haven't looked at the roster. This is a fun hypothetical I'll have to think about. But here's a, a really interesting part of this. As far as I can tell, Peyton Manning has never formally been on Pat McAfee's show. If you Google Pat McAfee, Peyton Manning, there are so many videos that come up on YouTube of Pat McAfee talking about Peyton Manning, uh, this story and that story and here and there, but I'm pretty sure Peyton Manning has never really called into the show and done a formal interview. Now, Tom Brady, if he played with Pat McAfee, I'm pretty sure they'd kind of fall in love and have a fun, lighthearted relationship where no matter how deep it was. But Tom Brady's the kind of guy who's He's left New England. He's trying to change his brand, make it more appealing and more approachable. And Tom wants to appear like a guy who's fun and lighthearted. He did that interview with uh, Howard Stern recently. I'm pretty sure if Pat McAfee and Tom Brady played on the same team, Tom Brady just might make an appearance on the Pat McAfee show. And man, would that be good for business. I just think all around, you know, Pat has nothing to lose by making a return and playing in the NFL again, having one final year of farewell tour, it would give him closure. It would give him stories he'd have forever. He might win a Super Bowl. I really badly, this hypothetical is really fun for me. I want to see Pat McAfee in a Buccaneers jersey playing for Tampa Bay. I think it'd be awesome. It probably won't happen, but man, I would love, 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 love to see it happen. Pat, if you're watching, please do it. Please make a return. It'd be so much fun. It's a crazy fun scenario to think about, but I think in the end, it'd be really good for business as well as a good experience on the football field for Pat McAfee to play one more time with Tom Brady and Tampa Bay for the Buccaneers. Guys, that's all I have. Uh, Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. I want to end the show this way, the way I end every single show. Uh, Four years ago, my younger brother took his life. And it's not fun. It's terrible. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. And through that experience, I learned two really painful lessons. Number one, If you're struggling, please go get help. Go talk to somebody. Go get help. Talk to a professor, a teacher, a counselor, a coach, anybody you can. Do not suffer in silence. My brother never told anybody he was having a hard time, and we found him dead on the floor in his bedroom. That's terrible. I don't want that for anybody. Uh, Now, if you really truly have nobody, there's nobody you can talk to as a last resort. Please call the suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And the second lesson I learned my brother died was awful but true. Make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them. Tell them you love them. Make it clear to them if they're struggling, they can come talk to you. I played high school football with my brother. We worked together at a car wash at the time. Him and I were pretty close, and I, at least I thought so. And I never did a good enough job making it clear to him, hey man, I love you, and you can come talk to me if you're having a hard time. We played video games, we played Halo, we talked about girls and movies and sports and video games. And we never really were had the depth of a conversation where he could tell me, hey, man, I'm having a hard time with this, yada, yada. 
I just encourage you, ask questions from your friends. Make sure they're doing okay. Give them hugs. Tell them you love them. Make it clear to your friends if they're having a hard time, they can come talk to you and share their struggles. I think it's so important. If you're struggling, go get help. Make sure the people in your life know you love them. Hope everyone's doing well. I know uh, the quarantine, the pandemic going around, it's been really hard for everybody. And I just hope everyone's doing well. Uh, I think sports are, for me, an uplifting thing. It kind of distracts me from what's going on in the real world. I hope that's how you feel about this and everything. And I wish sports were happening on a more prevalent level. But things like Michael Jordan's documentary, the NFL Draft, for me, were really uplifting, give me other things to think about. So I hope you're doing well. I love you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Um, the next episode, I think, is going to be very heavily, you know, a lot of Ask Zach questions. That's my next thing. I really want to lean into more Ask Zach questions. I haven't done a lot of them recently, so I want to dive in more into that. Um, hope you're doing well. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam, we are done.